the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And welcome back as we head into hour three. I was thinking about the underreported upon primaries that took place this week, earlier this week, Tuesday in New York State. Four self-declared socialists were elected to the state legislature. One, a new one, Kirsten Gonzalez, proclaimed after her victory. Some of you have heard the audio. Today, we really proved that socialism wins. That's what she said at her election victory party, this newly elected senator in the state of New York. Today, we really proved that socialism wins. I was looking up Miss Gonzalez's biography, which is thin, as it would be for a 27-year-old. But I did find out that she worked in the Obama White House and also in Chuck Schumer's office, which made me wonder if they hired her, Obama or Schumer, knowing she was a socialist, or if she became a socialist as a result of working in those jobs. I also wonder why nobody asked that question until now. It's an odd thing how discredited philosophies or once discredited philosophies just never seem to go away, or if not buried with a stake in their proverbial heart, come back to take more proverbial life. We've never really fully buried fascism or national socialism, obviously. And like a ghoul in the night, but knowing no distinction between day and night, Karl Marx has never fully been buried or repudiated either. Not even close. Today, a majority of young adults in the United States have a higher view, a more positive view of socialism than capitalism. This should be no surprise, but it should be energizing to us or for us. Animating may be the better word. A lot of people thought we buried Marx in 1989. The End of History was the book Francis Fukuyama wrote that was all the rage. But even if you didn't know or read that book, that was the thought. Marxism, communism was over in 1989. We thought we buried it. We didn't. I'm reminded here of what P.G.O. Wark wrote in 1989 at the time of the Berlin Wall's breach. He was there to see it. He was teary-eyed, but knew we in the West didn't quite celebrate it quite rightly, and thus didn't bury the ideology of the wall, of Marxism, Marxism quite rightly either. Wark wrote at the time, quote, I think there are a lot of people that don't get it. Our own President Bush, this would have been George Herbert Walker, our own President Bush seems to regard the events in Eastern Europe as some kind of odd dance craze or something. When I got back to the United States, I was looking through the magazines and newspapers, and it seemed that all I saw were editorial writers pulling long faces about whither a united Germany and whence America's adjustments to the new realities in Europe. And I thought, is that the kind of noise people were making in Times Square on VE Day? I say, shut up, you egghead flapgums. We've got the whole rest of history to sweat the small stuff. And those discredited peace creeps, they can zip their soup coolers too. 
They think Mikhail Gorbachev is a visionary? Yeah, he's a visionary, like Hirohito was after Nagasaki. We won. And let's not let anybody forget it. We, the people, the free and equal citizens of democracies, we living exemplars of the rights of man, tore a new you-know-what in international communism. Their wall is breached. Their gut string is busted. The rot of their dead body politic fills the nostrils of the earth with a glorious stink. We cleaned the clock of Marxism. We mopped the floor with them. We ran the reds through the ringer and hung them out to dry. The privileges of liberty and the sanctity of the individual went out and whipped butt. And the best thing about our victory is the way we did it. Not just with ICBMs and Green Berets and aid to the Contras. Those things were important. But in the end, we also beat them with Levi 501 jeans. 72 years of communist indoctrination and propaganda was drowned out with the help of a three-ounce Sony Walkman. A huge totalitarian system with all its tanks and guns, gulag camps, and secret police has been brought to its knees because nobody wants to wear Bulgarian shoes. They may have had the soldiers and the warheads and the fine-sounding ideology that suckered the college students and the nitwit third-worlders, but we had all the fun. Now they're lunch, and we're number one on the planet. He concludes... It made me want to do a little sack dance right there in the Cold War's end zone. We're the best. We're the greatest. The only undefeated socioeconomic system in the league. I wanted to get up on the wall and really rub it in. Taste the ash heap of history, you Bolshoi nose wipes. But there was nobody to jeer at. Everybody over there was in West Berlin watching Paula Abdul videos. I was P.G. O'Rourke in 1989. And not that there's anything terribly wrong with Paula Abdul videos that I can think of, but I do notice she's back. I just saw a TV ad for her, um, uh, by her, hosted by a TV ad she starred in. <laughs> um, she's back. And okay. But so too is Marxism. First of all, it never left, really, it never left China. We just decided to appease it there. And nobody more so than something in America called the NBA or great American companies like Nike. I wonder just now how many Soviet and British refuseniks were asking Americans to smuggle in Nike products. If they only knew then what they know now. Shame on Nike. And shame on us for not understanding what victory was. Wringing our hands about the withering of a united Germany and once America's adjustments to the new realities in Europe, indeed. What better way to put blame and burden on the United States than to immediately claim the U.S. had created a hand-wringing, worrisome problem in defeating the stability of Eastern Europe by defeating its governing and economic way of life? Of course, little media cared about the knocks at midnight, the raids, the boots on the throats, the barbed wire, the absence of rule of law, and the poverty as policy instability pressed into the lives of those living under socialism. Individual experiences, after all, are nothing compared to entire worldviews, which substantially speak of all the left-wing desiderata. We do this all the time, and too much. Over-intellectualizing ourselves into a frothy worry of pseudo-sophisticated junk thought. Why else do you think so many got away for so long as being the intelligentsia and responsible people keeping the U.S. Embassy out of Jerusalem lest it start a war in the Middle East? It didn't. It never would have. 
The Middle East was already at war. It only knows war. And it had nothing to do with Jerusalem or Jews or Christians. Remember when the real problem was killing the master terrorist, Qasem Soleimani? His terrorism and attacks on Americans when he was alive was not the problem. That was a stable and expected part of our lives. It was removing him from Earth that was to be condemned, especially since Donald Trump did it. That was the concern. Anyway, Marxism never left China. And, of course, those writing headlines about whence America's adjustments and the withering of a united Germany were informed by so many. Wait for it. Where did these journalism school graduates get their intel on world affairs and political philosophy? I can guarantee you not at the Columbia School or Missouri School of Journalism, but rather at the Columbia and Missouri and so many other schools of political science. Well, the journalists may not have taken classes there. Most likely our journalists, however, do call the professors there and the graduates who took classes there. And somebody forgot to instruct our journalists that those professors were opining on a defeated system of governing philosophy they, the professors, still believed in. That's where Marxism was. China, Cuba, and in our own faculties in America. That's why we never quite had the right celebrations of victory, which is why we were never why we never quite had the right celebration of our enemy's defeat, which is why we never really defeated the enemy, Marxism. A few days ago, I quoted Leo Strauss, who fled Nazi Germany. I quoted him about how he worried that nations being defeated on the battlefield and annihilated as political entities were depriving their conquerors of the most sublime fruits of victory, the imposition of the yoke of its own thought. In other words, when we defeat a country, whose thought is being imposed on who? Whose thought is being imposed on who? When we defeated Marxism in Europe, was our th thought imposed on them, or did Marxism grow in America? When we defeated Nazism and the relativism that came to stand for what Nazism stood for, did we impose democracy throughout Germany and Poland? Or rather, was relativism taken more seriously here? Did we end notions of race consciousness and treating people as entities of import based on what race they were? Did we put an end to that? Or did we re-up it here? What's worse is, of course, not the inability to impose our ideology on those we defeat, but when the enemy is able in their last gasp to impose their intellectual thought on the victors, on us, which I fear is truly our present or should truly be our present concern and worry. I suppose I need to say something here that soon will lead to sore throats when I talk of socialism Marxism. Seth, you are conflating Marxism or communism with socialism, aren't you? No, I'm not. If there's conflation, it's by Marx. I could do this all day, but just for the sketch, the Manifesto of the Communist Party, the official name of the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and, uh, and Engels, was printed in whole in socialist papers throughout Europe. 
papers with titles like Les Socialistes. In his 1888 preface to the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx's co-author, Frederick Engels, wrote exactly this, quote, The manifesto is doubtless the most widespread, the most international production of all socialist literature, close quote. The Soviet Union was the USSR. The USSR was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. One more. Article 1 of the People's Republic of China states exactly this. The People's Republic of China is a socialist state under the people's democratic dictatorship led by the working class and based on the alliance of workers and peasants. The socialist system is the basic system of the People's Republic of China. Disruption of the socialist system by any organization or individual is prohibited. Think about that. Think about that. It's prohibited. People's Republic of China. Disruption of the socialist system by any organization or individual is prohibited. But read down a bit further, and it's even more telling or fun. Not fun, those who live there. All Article 24 of the Chinese Constitution reads exactly this way. Ready? Quote, the state advocates the civic virtues of love of the motherland, of the people, of labor, of science, and of socialism. It conducts education among the people in patriotism and collectivism, in internationalism and communism, and in dialectical and historical materialism to combat capitalist, feudal, and other decadent ideas, close quote. And just so you don't think this is simply a European or Asian thing, the Twitter page for the Socialist Club right here at ASU states this at the top of their page, quote, Students for Socialism at Arizona State University is a socialist revolutionary Marxist club. Our mission is to end capitalism and fight for socialism, close quote. Harry Jaffa said this about Marx. Marx saw morality as the great enemy of human well-being. And now the society of the future is one in which moral distinctions based upon the Judeo-Christian and Greek traditions will dissolve. Without even knowing it, we are moving into a communist world. Without a revolution, we are moving into the world that Marx wanted. I would only differ a little bit. Some of us do today know this. Some of us, not enough, and the markings of the revolution for those of us willing to see things as, as they really are, are really all around us. First, take over education and create an intellectual class. Then move it to the streets. So when you have Antifa and BLM protests and riots making Marxist demands like dissolution of the family, dissolution of the police, dissolution of private or alternative education, and you wed that to a cowardice in denouncing them, and you wed that to an attempt to appease and kneel and march with them, and you wed that to a lack of confidence in that which they protest against, and you wed that to a normalization of Marxism by openly nurturing it, and you wed that to electing socialists in a major political party in the United States, you have, as I say, the markings and trappings of what every revolution in history looked like up until now. Why would this be or should this be any different here? Let us recall and never tire of pointing out that the very founders of BLM bragged of being trained Marxists. They are not unproud of this. They are not shy of this. 
Their main founder, Patrice Kalours, was even a professor at Prescott College right here in Arizona after she founded BLM. She doesn't even have a Ph.D., but that's okay. We're used to Marxists getting faculty appointments prior to their terminal degrees, like Angela Davis in the UC system. The thing is not the credential everyone else has to abide. Marxists never play by the rules. The thing is to think right. It's called orthodoxy. Anyway, what's important to note is the contours of how this revolution is hardened, and it is at our campuses. We can scold the NBA and Nike if perhaps enough consumers of professional sports and sport clothing stood up and said something or boycotted the NBA and Nike. That would be sufficient. But that is all at the retail level of this revolution, figuratively and literally. I worry about the wholesale, our campuses. There are no more Ronald Reagans who, as governor, stood up to them and against them. But today there are famous apple cart upsetters, and they receive glamorous profiles in, a me- in, in the media, from AOC to Rashida Tlaib to Ayanna Presley to now this crowd at the legislature in New York. And they get their policies, too. I give you Joe Biden's transfer of wealth by diktat yesterday. A transfer a year ago, Nancy Pelosi said, was unconstitutional. A transfer she is silent about this year. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. If you're interested in a remarkable investment opportunity, I do want you to check them out. Y-Refi is offering up a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. These are investors who do really well by doing good for others. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. Do check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com. Or you can call them at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. Great people, great company. By the way, they helped uh, – uh, they were the sponsors, lead sponsors of our uh, event with Larry Elder last night. I mean they just really – are on our side and want us to continue talking. So if you are interested in that uh, unique opportunity, uh, check them out, investyrefi.com. Um, tacking on to what I said about socialism, communism in America, I want to play you a little something uh, when we come back from the break. But when we come back from the break, pay attention because the um, the interesting thing to me part of a thesis I was playing with earlier on the show with y'all. Part of the interesting thing to me is that the four socialists who were elected to the state legislature in New York practically makes no news. Why do you think that is? Again, if you're proud of something, you're on the left, you know the media is on the left, you know the Democratic Party is on the left, you know how that you know they know how to make a news story when they want to, even inventing them, you know they know how to kill a story when they want to. If they were proud of the socialists that were elected, they'd be telling you. But they know, like everything else they lie about or try to conceal, that this is not a socialist country. And this is not a country that will have truck with socialism. Yes, if you're under 35. But this country is a lot more than those under 35. But it can be taken over by the ideology of those who believe socialism and Marxism to be a positive good. 
if we don't do our homework that the media won't help us with. I'm Seth Leibson. Don't go away. Right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth. Um, thinking about Marxism, socialism back in our society, and uh, not back, <clears throat> growing in our society, with growing and increasing credibility, again, part and parcel of, of what uh, Larry Elder is doing in his movie Uncle Tom 2 that many of you saw last night when we premiered it. You know, it's not just on issues of race. And I'll say something more about that in a moment, too. But it's really, you know, there, there's Marxism and there's neo-Marxism. Classical Marxism is about dividing people into economic classes and judging people based on economic status. Neo-Marxism or racial Marxism based on Darwinian theory is replacing class with race the class war with the race war. And if we stick with the class, the original taste, the original formula for a moment, think about what it is Joe Biden did yesterday. Think about what it is Joe Biden did yesterday with the transfer of wealth. Sign it off by a pen, not even an act of Congress. Cue the next Marxist analogy. C. Bradley Thompson did a course for PragerU, Understanding Marxism, on this very issue, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. I thought it couldn't be more timely. So if you'll give me a few moments, I'd like to give you C. Bradley Thompson. Bill, go ahead. In a remarkably short period of time, the philosophy of Karl Marx changed the course of history. At the height of its power, Half the world fell under its dominion, kept there by a combination of fear, terror, and brute force. Then suddenly, in the late 1980s, it imploded. By all rights, this should have been the end of Marxism. But it hasn't turned out that way. From environmentalism with its rejection of free markets to critical race theory, which sees white patriarchy as the source of all evil, you'll find Marxism at its root. The leaders of Black Lives Matter, for example, openly acknowledge their devotion to Marxist ideology. How do we explain this fascination for something that has so utterly failed everywhere it's been put into practice? We can find answers in one of Marx's most enduring epigrams. From each according to his ability, to each according to his needs. Marx was a poor economist, but a talented journalist. The only actual job he ever had. He knew how to turn a phrase. But what does this slogan even mean? According to what ability? According to what need? And who determines anyone's ability or anyone's need? Marx never bothered to answer these obvious questions. He had much bigger things on his mind. Nothing less than the creation of an entirely new kind of world for an entirely new kind of human being. Marx believed that by altering man's economic and political institutions, he could alter or even better, rewire the human brain. He could conjure a new consciousness that would replace the old false one. This new man would be less selfish and acquisitive and more altruistic and communal. 
In short, he would be a superior type of man. Of course, this new man could only reach this goal if he wasn't preoccupied with having to earn money. According to Marx, money and the pursuit of it ruined everything. Marx hated money, maybe because he never found a way to make it. Getting rid of it was central to his worldview. Once a person's subsistence, one's daily bread, was distributed on the basis of need rather than greed, man's natural communal affections, long suppressed by his capitalist overlords, would be renewed. This is Marx channeling the 18th century French social thinker Jean-Jacques Rousseau, one of the few people Marx admired. According to Rousseau, this is what you must do if you want to create a new society. He who dares to undertake the making of a people's institutions must feel himself capable of changing human nature, of transforming each individual who by himself is a complete and solitary whole into part of a larger whole from which the individual receives his life and his being. Understand this, and you understand not only a key feature of Marx's thought, but the dark history of the 20th century. Marx took Rousseau literally. Human nature had to be returned to its allegedly pure, selfless state before capitalism, with its enlightenment and Judeo-Christian values corrupted him. But creating this new man would be a formidable task. Marx anticipated that many would object, especially the owners and managers that had a large stake in the capitalist system. Friendly persuasion wasn't going to get the job done. Only the ruthless application of state power would be up to the task. Marx was all for it. Private property, wage labor, competition and profits, these would have to go. The state, now run by the workers themselves, the dictatorship of the proletariat, as Marx called it, would control production and pricing. It would wisely manage the economy, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. And imagine how wonderful it would be. No more ego, no more self-interest. Instead, everybody working for the benefit of everybody else. Peace, love, and harmony. For many, it's a very seductive idea. Who wouldn't aspire to live in such a world? Look around, a Marxist might say. The powerful exploit the weak, crushing the majority's noble aspirations, your aspirations, just so they can have more. It's unfair and unjust. How much better if we just start over, start clean? That's the Marxist socialist dream. In real life, it's a nightmare. Needs become demands and demands become rights. The best are mocked and the worst exalted. Innovation withers while the government grows ever larger. Eventually, the productive become virtual slaves to the unproductive and the society collapses economically, intellectually, and morally. And then the real horror starts. If you think I'm exaggerating, just ask someone who fled the Soviet Union or Cuba or Venezuela. For all its risk and inequities, they prefer freedom. And we should too. I'm Brad Thompson, professor of political science at Clemson University for Prager University. And I'm Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960. We will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people and great product of Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is the website to get their fruits and veggies. I take them every day. Best product I've ever taken. Pure, potent, plant power to boost your energy, your health, and your immunity. It's a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables in just one daily so- serving, one daily dose, vegetarian capsules. Which, if you don't like swallowing, you can easily, they're designed to open up and sprinkle into food or drink if you prefer it that way. Although they're normal capsules, I just know some people don't like swallowing capsules. I love the product. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Now, as we engage this rather serious discussion of communism and socialism here in America, as I was doing in my monologue earlier, and as we're seeing it grow before our very eyes and then be put into practice by our very government, you're going to be aware of certainly those that say you're overstating it or socialism in the past, communism in the past. Okay, yeah, maybe, but it was kind of imperfectly applied. There was never really such a thing as pure socialism or pure communism. Irving Kristol Died, uh, when did die about <clears throat> five, six years ago, maybe? Irving Crystal, uh, not Bill, who <laughs> a lot of us, including me, have a lot of problems with, but his father, who is not the same person as his son, uh, was one of the great essayists, teachers, professors, and commentators of our time. He wrote that this argument is all quite ridiculous. Socialism is what socialism does. The sad lament of the purest that socialism, or for that matter, capitalism or some religion, Christianity and Judaism, has never really been tried, is simply the expression of childlessness and obstinacy on the part of ideologues who convince that they have a more profound understanding than anyone else of the world in its history, now find that they have been living a huge self-deception. People who persist and calling themselves socialists while decrying the large parts of the world that has proclaimed itself socialist and can find a socialist country nowhere but in their imaginations have nothing to teach us. As such, they do serve a purpose. They help the honest historian and honest scholar understand what socialists used to think socialism was all about. One can discover that from reading books to be sure, but it's sometimes enlightening to interview an actual survivor. Have any of you been in a Republican Party or conservative meeting, especially this year or any election year, where someone from a formerly or someone who is formerly how should I put this? Someone who used to live in a socialist country Someone who used to live under socialism was in attendance and spoke. Is there anyone more animated in the room? Is there anyone usually also more articulate in the room than that person, the person who survived socialism and got here, came here, thank God, escaped it, or saw their country's socialism collapse before they left? These are the most intellectually serious, but also intellectually committed 
conservatives and Republicans you will meet. Last Saturday, I was, I think I was telling you on Monday of this week that over the weekend, last weekend, I was um, moderating an event of several Republican candidates uh, statewide and, and uh, for federal office here in Arizona. And a woman came up to me at one of the breaks with a bit of an accent. And she said uh, she's uh, from Venezuela, lives here now. And she said, Seth. She didn't grab me by the, what would you call it, collar or grab me by the lapels, but you almost got the, she gave me the, the, the verbal equivalent of it. She almost, want, I could see she almost wanted to. She, she said, Seth, you have to talk about the Second Amendment too. Don't forget to mention the Second Amendment. I'm from Venezuela. Trust me, if it goes here, we go and become Venezuela. She was absolutely right. It was uh, a moment I'll never forget. People from these countries know what our Bill of Rights means. They know what our Bill of Rights committed to protecting our natural rights mean. They know how precious it is, but more importantly, they know how fragile it is. And more important than that, they're seeing something of a shadow and hearing something of an echo of that which they fled. Are we going to take them seriously? Or are we not going to take them seriously? Are we going to become Venezuela or are we not? That's the answer to the question of whether we're going to take them seriously or are we not going to take them seriously. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. It is time for a cool change, not a cruel change, but a cool change. The Democrats want to give us a cruel change. Whitaker Chambers in his great book, Witness. Gosh, it's such a classic. If, you ha- if you're looking to read one classic, that's the one. One classic that you haven't read, read, read Witness. A classic in the, in the, in the, in the modern, modern sense. I'm not talking classics like the Greeks or Shakespeare, but modern Read Witness. Helps explain the world. Anyway, in his book Witness, he's talking about why Democrats can engage in socialism and yet deny that they are doing so. And he said it's not treason. He said, he wrote, men who sincerely abhorred the word communism in the pursuit of common ends found that they were unable to distinguish communists from themselves. For men who could not see that what they firmly believed was liberalism adding up to socialism could scarcely be expected to see what added up to communism. Any charge of communism, he continued, enraged them precisely because they could not distinguish between themselves and those against whom the charge was made. They take a special offense, in other words, because they can't see the difference. They want to deny they're communists, but they can't, or socialists, or whatever their policies substantially reflect communism and socialism, but they can't distinguish it from what they do. Thus, they take offense at the word. 
took me a long time to understand this. It took me a long time to understand the latent and now kinetic socialism in this country, resident in the Democratic Party. A long time. And part of it, I guess, was my inability to make that distinction, too. And yet loathing that word at the same time. But the distinctions aren't there. And thus the word applies. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.